You know, people are complex. I think just about everybody doesn't want change, and yet we all also want a lot to change. We, we live in the mixture of those two feelings, and perhaps we've never wanted change more than the last few years when the pandemic set everything into what felt like chaos. Everyone's lives were paused or, or shifted, and, and everyone has had to deal with, well, what do I want from life right now? And last year, uh, nearly 50 million Americans voluntarily left jobs, which shows how many people are thinking, I really don't want this current situation. I gotta find something else. And it is true of job life, it's been true of um, maybe people have switched schools, people have moved where they've lived, people have switched or left churches altogether. Uh, people have been going through all sorts of changes. There's just been this growing discontent with our current situation. And in the midst of that, in those early months of the pandemic, there was a 26-year-old named Ashley Ward who decided to make a TikTok. And maybe that's not the platform you're on, but I think you'll appreciate the heart of what's at work here. But she decided, I want to make something to, to describe my current feelings and my situation. So she got a drone uh, camera on a beach, and it's looking straight down on her, and she's on a mat, and there's people around her, and they're all just kind of busy doing their own things, no one's paying attention. But she looks right at the camera, and then you hear her voiceover of the video, in which she says, you have to start romanticizing your life, you have to start thinking of yourself as the main character, because if you don't, life will continue to pass you by. All the little things that make it so beautiful will continue to go unnoticed, so take a second, look around, and realize that it's a blessing to be here right now. Now that small little short video was watched over three million times. Who knows how many times it got watched as somebody downloaded it and reposted it to Instagram or Facebook or Reddit or everywhere else. Um, but people also on that platform took that audio clip and then re-shot videos of their own life. Because something in the water really appreciates the idea of wanting to become the main character of the story in society right now. And I think it's born out of a place of saying, so much is going on, I don't feel like I have any control. I don't want to be the background character. I don't want to have the side role. I want to figure out how to take ownership of my situation. Uh, there's not that many people, if there's any Star Trek fans, not many people want to be the red shirts. You don't want to go in and die on the mission. You want to be the center figure of the story. And sure, there's a potential for some narcissism where we want to make it only about us and not care about what others are going through or thinking. But there is something to people being like, so much is happening to me. I want to take advantage of my moment, my experience, my opportunity. I want to do something with my life. I don't want to just sit here. And I think we've all experienced a version of that hunger and that longing. And so what's interesting is today we're going to read a story and it's going to somewhat be dwarfed by the fact that there's a figure in the story that everybody talks about. He goes by Saul or sometimes he goes by Paul. And he always has the gravity of being the main character of the story. He is not the main character of our story though today. It's somebody else's story. And so we're going to read the story of the aftermath of Saul's conversion, but more importantly, what somebody else did that day. Acts 9, verse 10 and following. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. 
The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at that house of Judas there, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he's praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias went, and he entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. And then Saul got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of the Lord. This is a short story. You read all these words, and I feel like you don't get the gravity and the weight of what it would have actually been like to been in this story. Uh, that's one of the reasons I love movies. I like how you can visualize, you can see a character's response, their feelings. But if you can imagine what it is to be Ananias that day. Ananias, for one, is available to God. There's a man named Ananias. The Lord says to him in a vision, Ananias. I think for many of us, we are so distracted, we are so busy, that it's hard to hear anything from anybody. You might have a spouse, a friend, a family member, a coworker who's trying to get your attention. Maybe you, if you've been a parent, maybe you've had a kid that you keep saying their name and they're zoned out on a tablet or a TV screen or whatever, and he's like, please give me your attention. And we are that same thing. We are so distracted and busy that what is it to just be available to God, that God can speak to you in a vision and you might actually listen and hear and say, yes, here I am. Like, do we build that into our life cycle that we want to be available to God and to the change that God might bring through us. For so many of us, we want change, but we don't want to make time to even have the opportunity for it. And so what is it just to schedule that? Of like, I don't know what it looks like to increase that availability for yourself. I don't know if that's uh, trying to find out one time a week, if that's every other day, if that's making a time daily, like whatever it is to increase your availability, you know, the lack of distractions, Sometimes it's good just, if you've got a spot where you can just sit in silence and listen, reflect, contemplate. Maybe it's reading a passage, maybe it, whatever gets you, like journaling, whatever gets you going where you can listen and talk to God. Like just being available allows the story to happen. Think about if Ananias was on his phone scrolling that day, you know, just busy, just letting his life scroll by. But Ananias has a vision, and God says, Ananias. He calls him by name. And I think that's already so beautiful, because for so many of us, we know that things should change in life. We know that God should, should make something happen, but we keep waiting for the other person to handle it. Somebody else will get to this, right? Somebody else will talk to that person. Somebody else will help this person. But God says, hey, Ananias, 
And maybe in your prayer time, you might just need to listen for your own name. Of like, what's God calling you to? Because it's, it's not just, oh, God will make somebody help with this. God will call somebody. What is it for God to call you to something? I know so many people who they live their lives and, and they think, oh, I'm just waiting for God to do this thing. And they never feel like God is actually just calling them to start to do that thing themselves. Of like, you know, who's like, ah, I wish I had a better relationship. I'm not going to try to do anything to build that relationship. I'm just going to wait and hopefully God will talk to that person. Maybe they'll fix them. What is it to be available to God and hear God talk to you? Now, I think Ananias needed this Ananias name said out loud from God because it's kind of like God saying, Ananias, you might want to sit down for a second. You might need to sit down for this message. Hey, I've got something for you. You need to get up. Let me give you directions. There's no Google Maps yet. Uh, I like the directions list, right? You know, here's the street, and then here's the house, and you go into that house, and you'll find the person I'm talking about. You'll find a man of Tarsus. And we held off there for a very long time. I'm sending you to a guy named Saul. Probably doesn't lead with, hey, I'm going to send you to Saul. You know where Saul's going to be. Here's the address. But I want you to go. I want you to go to this spot. And then I'm going to send you to this man named Saul from Tarsus. And at this moment, he's praying. So that's what you're going to find him doing. Look for someone praying. Ask around. If you don't know how to see him visually and know who he is and what he looks like, you can't go on Facebook and see his profile pic to have a little sense of who you're looking for. But he's going to be there praying. And see, I'm... I'm talking to you right now, but I'm also talking to him. And this is where it gets hard for us to even imagine. But you know, while you're praying and while you're hearing from God, God is talking and, and dealing with other people at the same time. And so Saul, he's having his own vision, and he sees you coming to help him. So I'm telling you it, and it's not just our little secret. I'm also letting Saul know to be expecting you. You, Ananias, go up and go to Saul. Lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And this sounds like an awful idea to Ananias. Because he, he's not open to the idea yet that Saul is someone worthy or someone he should be going to talk to. He's like, hey, God, wait. You've heard about Saul, right? You know who you're talking to. Do you know who he is? Wait, you know, Saul, the one who persecutes people who, who call out for you, your church, he, he hurts people. And you know, he got authority to continue hurting people. He's looking for people right now. You tell me that I should go open his eyes? What on earth would, would I do that for? He's the villain of this story. Because that's what Saul is at this point. He's the antagonist. Everything that the God is doing, what the church is doing, he is the obstruction. He's the person in the way. He's the person causing harm and damage and fear. I'm supposed to go to the villain and help him see? God, surely you, you, don't, you don't mean Saul, right? And I think for so many of us, we have that person in our head. It might not be you know, to that same extreme. They might not be about to send you to jail. But you have somebody in your life that has felt like an antagonist who you might be afraid that God would actually call you to go talk to them, to go do anything nice for them, 
to go do anything healing for that person. So I want you to imagine, just imagine, if you were having a prayer time, who's the person you're most afraid God would actually call you to help? That's kind of who Saul is for Ananias. Now that might not be the person you hear today, but I do think there's something about being open to the idea of God, whoever you put on my heart, whoever you call me to, I need to say yes to that because I can't even imagine yet what you might do if I say yes. So Ananias hears this story and he says, um, God, you, you know who this person is, right? You, you've heard about this man. And, and it's kind of funny, right? Like you act like God doesn't know who this guy is he's talking to, but okay. But the Lord says to him, go, he's an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God's giving Ananias a glimpse that Ananias does not have the full story. He does not know what every character's role is in this grand play. He doesn't know where, where their story's going to lead. And, and for so many of us, we, we feel like, oh, I know who this person is. I know what they're up to. I know what they're about. I know what this person's like. But there's something about being open to, maybe God might change this person. Maybe God might call them to something. Maybe the thing that you're most afraid of, God's going to transform into something that's most effective and most powerful. And so God's like, hey, Ananias, Saul's going to take my name to the nations. And you're afraid of him. You're afraid he's going to hurt you. But maybe you might be able to empathize that actually he's about to start to feel that pain himself. You know what that fear's like. You, you know people who have felt what that pain's like. He too will know what that pain's like. So as much as you think of him as the other, as the villain, as the enemy, he is on your side and he will know fully what it's like to experience that same pain. And so, Ananias is open, and then he's faithful. For so many of us, it's hard to get enough time where we set ourselves up to be available. It's hard to be open to the, what God might call you to. But then, the next hard thing is, it's hard to just walk that out. Maybe you've had a big plan, a big strategy, or a big resolution, and you were really like, I'm going to do this thing, and then it teeters off. I don't know how hard it was for Ananias to be faithful about, okay, I'm leaving the house. I'm getting out the door. And as he's walking, wait, what am I doing? Am I really going to walk up to Saul? Like, am I crazy? Is this going to work? And Ananias continues to walk and continues to enter the house, and he goes up to Saul. And beautifully, he walks up to him, he lays his hands on Saul, and he says, Brother Saul. What a powerful expression of faith. Where you're the biggest enemy that you could imagine, you walk up and the first thing you say is, you're my brother. That's trusting that what God has said is true. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the way has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of us make our mission about helping the next person be able to live out the calling that God has for them? And I think this gets to like 
where the potential pitfalls of, of wanting to be the main character of your story is, if you want to be the main character in such a way that nobody else matters, you've become the villain of the story. That's how the villain behaves. They don't care about the ramifications. They aren't thinking from other people's vantage points. But what is it to say, I can empower the next person. I can be a hero. I don't have to be a villain. I can be a support. I can be a mentor. I can, I can help elevate other people's stories. And I'm choosing this path. I'm going to not just make my story better. I'm going to work with God to make others better. And so he shows up and he says that he's going to help him regain his sight, as the Lord said. And he wants him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what this experience was like for Saul all, all along this way of what it is to, to lose your, your path, to be confused, to hear this vision, to, to have to wrestle with everything you thought was right. You were going 100% at it, and you realize you've been going the wrong direction. And you're, you're blind, and you hadn't realized that you were spiritually blind before. And to be there and to wait and to trust that someone else would believe your story. Because when you have a conversion experience, then you've got to deal with your friends, your family, and you're like, I hope they understand who I am. Like, do they accept me as this new person? And what a beautiful thing for Saul that the, this person that comes to him in this story lays hands on him and calls him brother. And at Ananias's presence and his words, the Lord moves and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and Saul's sight was restored. Isn't that one of the most beautiful desiring, desiring things that we would want for our world? Don't we hope that people could see differently? We're so stuck in our, in our divisions and our fights and our continual challenges. Like, What if people could just see differently and see the other person's perspective, see the other side of something, see what they've done to people, see what's possible, what God could do. And I feel like this is something that everybody should pray for. Lord, let the scales come off my eyes. Help me to see. Or let me see like you see. And so the scales come falling off. And then Saul gets up and was baptized. He decides, I want to take my commitment, I want to show people, I want to show people that I'm not the same person. That, that old me is buried, this new me is raised, and as a little bit of, just for clarity's sake, he's not Saul and then raised as Paul. It's never a name change in the story. Um, it's just one of those things that so many people have built in that, well, he was Saul, now he's Paul. This must be a part of the story. Um, it's just living in a multilingual culture. Saul's his, his Hebrew Jewish name, and, and Paul's a little bit easier for the Greek people to say. And, and so this, this Saul, this Paul, his old life is buried, and his new life emerges that day. And baptism is not just about one person's experience and their commitment. It is a community receiving that person. And so baptism doesn't happen in the story unless people like Ananias are there and are willing to take part in that. Say, yes, you can be my brother. And I wonder, like, what would this story be if Ananias hadn't said yes? I think a lot of us are like, well, God would have just found somebody else. But, like, that mentality means we just kind of are really procrastinators and inactive in our faith. 
Like, what if the story is, like, Saul is waiting for a decade for someone like Ananias to finally show up. Now, he's just actually waiting, and the clock is running, the clock is running, and you're waiting on Ananias. Like, what if Ananias said no? What if he's like Jonah, and he ran the other way? He's like, I am not going to, to Saul's house. That's not happening. What if he fled? What might have happened? I mean, we know what Paul's impact was on early church, how much his zeal affected people and how they saw what Christ looked like and, the, you know, of how does it like, look to live out our faith in this new age? What if Ananias hadn't said yes? And I think for so many of us, the amount of times that we haven't even been available to God, we haven't been open to what God has told us, we haven't followed through on whatever God's called us to. Think about, like, think about all the scales that could have fallen off. Think about the people who could be welcomed into the community, the people that you thought were against you might actually be your, your sibling, your friend. And so in this story, Saul's baptized. He takes some food and he regains his strength. And I always like to pause when we got, like, you might not have realized how much the Bible has a bunch of food stories. But since we've opened the cafe, we always try to pause to say, look at the importance of food on the spiritual journey. Saul's probably been fasting in his prayer life. He's like, I, I'm not eating. I need to focus only on God. God, say something to me. I, I need a vision. And now that he's welcomed into the community, he can regain his strength. And you do that around the dinner table. And you're supported. You, you've got people that are on the other side of the table with you. And I wonder what it would be like for us to accept this calling, to be, become main characters in our story, but not ones who, who use that and abuse it, but, but who want to support others and protect and, and mentor others. I was watching a movie, I know, no surprise, uh, called Ikiru, and I might be mispronouncing it. It's a Japanese movie. And I usually try to do my best to avoid spoilers, but I'm going to say that if a 1952 Japanese movie, if you haven't seen it yet, you've had your time. Um, but there's a movie about a man who's a bureaucrat. He's in the, working in the city, and he finds out he has stomach cancer. And so the movie, Ikiru, means to live. He's wanting to know, what does it mean to live now when I'm faced with my mortality? And so he tries some things that everybody would try. Uh, you know, he, He's, maybe I want to forget my problems, so he's like, I'm going to drink my problems away, which is not great if you've got stomach cancer. So he quickly experiences the pain of those decisions. He tries to find pleasure, but how much pleasure am I getting in this scenario where my health is where it, what it is? And so he decides he's not going into work. He's going to keep looking for where do I find life? And so he just is missing from work. His family isn't sure where he's at. And he's just going around trying to figure out where there's meaning in life. And there was a character that he ends up bumping into that had worked in his office, and she's a, a young lady who made a joke that she thought was hilarious and nobody else thought was funny in the office. Uh, she read this little comic strip about someone who didn't want to take a vacation from their city work, and they said, oh, is it because you think everything's going to fall apart when you leave? And they're like, no, I'm afraid that they'll realize that it's all going exactly the same. And she thinks it's hilarious, and he's realizing, he's like, wait, I've worked there for 30 years, I've, I've moved up in the ranks, I'm this high-ranking official, and yet, where has there been anything life-giving in this? Like, where is there any meaning? 
And so he's, he's longing for that, and he runs into this lady, and she's like, yeah, the one thing that they can't do right now is they need your stamp to, like, terminate employment, and I want to go work somewhere else. Could you just, like, let me leave this job? And he's just fascinated by this person because she's been there for a year, and she's realized in a year, what, what's the point of any of this? And this is something he's come very late to, and he's wanting to know, how do you live your life? And she decided she wanted to work in this toy factory. And she's like, well, I just imagine all of these kids that have this joy from this toy, and I think that I was a part of it. And he's longing for, what does that look like for me? So, you might not expect, he goes back to work. But he goes back to work and decides to fix and figure out how to make something happen. See, the movie starts with a, a group of ladies who are complaining about open sewage in their neighborhood. There's this open sewage, it's toxic, it's bad, and they like want to park there. And they go into the offices and the, arcs, the offices say, oh, you want park planning, oh, you want um, the sewage people, oh, you want the mayor, oh, you... And they just keep sending them in circles and nobody wants to take ownership of it. It's too much of a headache. And so he makes his life job making this happen. So he'll go and wait for a week in, the, in your office until you relent and say, yes, we'll, we'll make this happen. And so... The interesting thing from a movie standpoint, it, fa it flashes forward to the man has died. And it's all of his coworkers sitting in a room talking about this man. What was his deal? Why was he acting so different? And see, this man never told anybody else that he was dying. He knew he was dying. But they're like, what, what was going on with him? And so they started thinking that he had another relationship. Oh, it was just a woman and that's what changed his life or whatever it is. And they're reminiscing and they're realizing, wait, I think he knew he was dying. And eventually they get to the place that they say, why do we accept that this is the way our work works? And so all of the people around the wake decide, we're going to work differently. He inspired us, like, we got to live this way. Why is our work this way? And then the movie flashes forward and they're working and they're resigned to their same old, same old that even though they had seen what it was like to work in a different way, to try to make something happen, eventually all the processes wore them back down and they went back to status quo. The thing that's challenging for us is it's easier if you are Saul. It's easier if you are getting, like you are knocked off your path, you had the medical emergency, you've had the heart attack, the stroke, you've had... Uh, someone left you in your life, whatever the moment was that you're like, okay, I can't be the same anymore. That life change seems to stick easier. It is harder to be the Ananias, hear about something that's going on in someone else's life, and to be willing and open and receptive and say yes to making the change yourself. And so I want to invite us, what would it be if we actually just committed to being open and available to God and said, God, I want to make a change. Tell me what the change is. Tell me who I need to go talk to. Tell me what I need to do. Lord, I want to live differently. I don't want to get a death notice to be the moment that I finally live differently. I want to live here and now. And the thing is, is every single day is that opportunity. And so the question is whether we want to live. We want to live fully. We want to live fully into God's love. And if you are here, and if you're worshiping with us online, and you have been in the midst of, you got that scary 
life experience thing that has happened to you, every single person, no matter how much time you have, has the ability to say yes to God and whatever God is inviting you to that day. That's all we have. We didn't, none of us know how long we have. But we can all live faithfully right now. We don't have to wait. And so may we have the courage, the boldness to say, yes, here I am, Lord. Send me. Would you pray with me? Lord God, Lord, we admit that there has been times where we've been distracted and we haven't paid attention to your calling. We know there's times where we've had the hint of the Spirit is telling us to do something and we have chosen not to do it. Lord, I'd ask that we not feel shame, but we feel hope in you that when we say yes to you, that you do not bring guilt on us, but you bring us love and embrace and hope and inspiration. Lord, may we live fully for you. Lord, I ask that you would give us a spirit and hearts and minds and and bodies that, that live full out for you. Lord, let the parts of our spirit, the parts of ourselves that get in the way fall off like those scales. Open us up. Lord, help us to be vulnerable to you, trusting in you. And Lord, I ask that you might help each of us in this room know that we are not alone in praying with you today that you are moving in others' lives. Lord, I ask that you would cultivate the relationships, the ministries, the experiences that are in front of us, that you might help us to connect with that next friend, that next, the next person that we're supposed to support on the way. Lord, for whoever feels disconnected and alone, cut off, we ask that you might help them Feel your presence and the presence of all who, who love you and seek after you. Lord, may we live with your passion, your urgency, your life, and your love. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.